Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. As engineers, we have a lot of excellent tools and resources to help us do our jobs well. One of those resources is open source code. In this episode, we will be talking about everything open source. Let's go around the table and give introduction of today's panelists. Mars, you want to start it off? Sure. I'm Mars Julian, uh, formerly of Netflix and currently a digital nomad, hopefully temporarily. Ooh, we'll be excited to find out where you're going, Mars. Me too. (laughs) Jem. Jem Young, still at Netflix. (laughs) And I'm Ryan Burgess. I am a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide for open source? What is our keyword? Contribute. Contribute. So if we say the word contribute, we will all take a drink. All right. Well, let's get started. I've kind of figured one thing that we should start with is how do you define open source? Because I think you can say it in many different ways, but how do you each think of open source? I mean, I think a lot of times open source projects are are you know, tools, obviously, like we've talked about before, that are useful for certain tasks and then shared with the world at, at its most basic without sort of like any of the logistical components to it um, is sort of sharing something that you've made and find useful. Yeah, I, th- I like that point of being like the sharing po- uh, aspect because it's like you're almost you're just making it publicly accessible to anyone that wants to use it and do something with. But what I think the like official definition lacks is the aspect of community around it as well. Yeah, actually, that's a good point too. To me, open source typically means community. There's usually usually multiple people contributing. Do we do does that count as a keyword? Count it. All right. Yeah, cheers. cheers. <laughs> it doesn't have to be multiple people. It, can, it could just be one person saying, hey, this is open to the world to use. Well, I think there's also a difference between something that's just free um and and people that sort of just take it and use it whereas open source when a project is open source sort of is an inviting um collaboration all right so we've kind of defined roughly what uh open source is what are some of the benefits of open source like i i think we covered a little bit there in the sense that it's you know accessible to anyone to use it's open for the world but what are some other reasons to use open source uh, trust uh you have more people just looking at the code so you're not the most qualified person in the world generally. Even if you are, it doesn't hurt to have other people looking at it. Well, I think also too, um, just, I mean, I don't know if this is true in other sort of disciplines of engineering, but for front end, it definitely feels like, hey, this problem feels familiar or at least feels like someone else could have solved this previously. Can we take advantage of someone else's work? That sounds a little, a little opportunistic, but I just mean, can we sort of leverage someone else's solution to this? Um, for our use case, because why duplicate work when as a as a community for front end, we like to share what we do a lot of the time. Like why reinvent the wheel? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also, I think like to Jem's point of like the trust side, it's like reliable. It's, you know, if there's a bug, someone else may have found it before you and fixed it, which is great, too. So it's like you have an army of people that are constantly iterating and changing things, which could be a bit downside, I guess, that there could be breaking changes. But also, people are catching and, and fixing things as well. You need you need like robust rules around open source. So you can't just be like anybody can submit a pull request and you just accept them. Most of the big projects that we use and have heard of are pretty rigorous and they're and how they're maintained and the rules around submitting PRs and like all these other things. 
And just, I know it's fun and happy hour, but there are lots of open source projects that we all use, like Linux. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is like one of the longest running ones. Open SSL. Open, open SSL. SSL. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so it's, and those I would say like are not, they have community, but it's a very different community from what we think of in, when we think like React or Angular or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, all fascinating. Um, another benefit of open source is that you have multiple people who have different use cases. So it's possible to become like so myopic on one topic that on on one like area of your software, like I wanted to do this, but someone comes in like, well, it could do this if we just tweak this. You're like, oh wow, now it's useful for thirty people instead of just one. Uh, that's like a pretty powerful use case for open source. Honestly, to me, like anytime, like I've built small little libraries and tools for development that i've found useful and i'll just throw it up on github even if one person in the world is like damn that just saved me like five minutes awesome like to me i'm like well i I created it for my own use case and if someone else can use it great that kind of feels really cool no i think even beyond that thinking about like oh yeah we sort of use these things for for things we thought we wanted to implement if that makes sense um like for your use case is like another use case on top of an open source project that might already exist but there's also stuff that you're like oh i didn't even think to do that it's so cool that someone wrote a tool um that helps you know for example like all of the doc the tools that help you know generate documentation from comments and code that's not something that i like immediately pops out to me like oh we absolutely need that um but because someone else is doing it it even like elevates the the rest of the work that we're doing because someone else thought of it first and is sharing it with the rest of the community also uh speaking of sharing like sharing your knowledge is a great way it's like i i don't know mars you know a ton about i don't know detailed browser performance or something and you wrote some library to like extract that data i can learn from you by reading your code and like picking up what you've learned versus I'll talk or something, which is good, but it's not the same as seeing how you implemented something step by step, which I found pretty useful. Should we, on the flip side, also talk about what the drawbacks to open source yes, might be? Yeah. Absolutely. I think there are some drawbacks. I'm curious, Mars, since you brought it up, what are what are your drawbacks? <laughs> well, I think um, Jem kind of touched on it before in terms of like having rigorous rules for the like how the product is maintained and how people contribute back to it. Cheers, by the way. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> so, like having rigorous rules in terms of how it's maintained is pretty important. Like OpenSSL, for example, is a good is a good example of an open source project that had a pretty large flaw, like a security flaw. And then also, I can't remember exactly which npm modules, but you know, some of those that relied on leftpad, for oh, example. Left <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you just so sometimes with open source, you kind of take for granted that this is a thing that does the job I want it to do. But sometimes you're not looking closely enough to because there aren't established rules and practices. There is that trust, and sometimes things kind of sneak in um, when you don't expect them to. Say, uh, misplaced confidence is. I can't think of a better word for that. But you're like, oh, it's open source, so naturally OpenSSL is a good example. It's secure because obviously someone's looking at it. You're like, oh, who? People. People are looking at it. Obviously somebody is verifying it, and it could lead you down some bad paths. You're like, oh, this has been started on GitHub for 10,000 people. Obviously it's a good, it's the best implementation, and that may not be true at all. It may be like wildly insecure, and nobody's actually looking at it. Right. I think another downside to it too is that Companies can end up making money off of this as well. I think that can be, it's kind of this weird gray area is like you are allowed to use this software and companies are making something with it. And so there's this kind of weird balance where it's like, how does that person who maybe wrote something for free, do do they get some royalty or get paid for it? I, I know there's been a lot of things 
brought up nowadays of like how how does someone for doing open source work get paid and i think that's an interesting aspect that sometimes i think people could get taken advantage of as well i think on the maintainer side too beyond the compensation point like there there sometimes can be an impatience on the uh the side of those who are using open source projects not realizing sort of the open source project might it's not their it's not necessarily their day job um and it's open source for a reason so that it's collaborative and sort of then the community relies on still relies on that one person to maintain it in addition to sort of all of their other responsibilities so i think it could be quite taxing depending on also the success of the project oh absolutely because yeah you're getting all these issues or questions and maybe that's not even the direction you want too. i think that can be it as well is sometimes you've built a library or tool in a way that you're like, cool, I've built it. This is the way that it was built. And then other people want it to extend or want it to grow. And you may not have the time or even see the future of that. You're like, yeah, that, that's not really my intent. There are, uh, That's a great example. There, There's like a lot of people, especially recently, that get burnt out on open source because they're like, people are hostile and their PR is like, hey, I added, I don't know, commas to all the end of your your uh function parameters i don't know what you can do but someone's like no and then they get really angry about it like i spent all this time doing this work and it's like well no one asked you to do that but that's a good point where a lot of people like you develop a library ryan you give back to the community just for the sake of being a good person and then someone's like actually i'm gonna fix all this stuff you're like cool i don't think i'm gonna merge that because i don't actually know what you're doing and i don't have time to figure out what you're doing and then they get really mad about it you're like this is my primary job i did as good as my heart and then someone's hostile and mean about it it makes you not want to give back to the community. And there's been so many examples of that to the point where it's either people get burnt down. They're like, whatever, I quit. I'm going to give this to someone else. Or they're very hostile to the users. And they're just like, this is my project. It's my way of the highway. Which I, I get. I get why people get like that. You're just like, no, I'm not going to take PRs anymore because I'm the one that knows what they're doing. Um, it's kind of sad, though, because it kind of kills open source in that we should all be better about in the community about this. Yeah, and I think maybe that goes to, a, you know, just a point of like, it's it's not that people don't want to give back, it's that maybe they just don't have the context. So from the maintainer side, it's a lot of work to do that context sharing. But, you know, like having more rigorous practices, you know, sort of just like this is the way an open source project, which kind of goes against open source in and of itself. It's meant to be kind of free form and collaborative and be like, hey, we now we need standards for open source. Um, but it might just help, you know, on the maintainer side. I think it was, was it Henry... Zoo? Zoo? Yeah. Zoo? Yeah. yeah. Maintainer of the Babel.js project who gave a talk at React Rally, I think it was last year, sort of about sort of the the human side to open source was sort of really what it came down to. Um, that was a really good talk too. Yeah. Because he spent, a, I mean, a large portion of his time adding features, maintaining, building a tool that a lot of us really, really benefit from. And I, I think he shared some really good insights and you could really see, like, feel the empathy on the other side of someone who this is a lot of their time. It's like almost a full-time job is supporting this open source project. Some of it is just like when someone releases software and you like it and it's not working the way you want or something. Part of it's like, you know, the person who created it doesn't owe you anything. Like, they released it for free. You are free to fork it and do whatever you want exactly. with it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think people are just like, ah, oh, how dare they not respond to my PR within an hour or something like that. And it's just like, we've forgotten. They, they're like an artist that gave this thing back to the world and they don't owe you anything back. On the other hand, what if there's someone says, um, we'll take Lodash, very, very, very popular. Let's say there's a huge security flaw and you submit a PR like, hey, the security flaw I put on Twitter. Um, they're like, cool, we'll get to it when we get to it. Like, what's their responsibility then? 
because it's a very, very popular library, but they're not getting paid necessarily to maintain it. Yeah, that's tough. Is that more important than adding a new feature? Probably like a security hole, like you almost feel more responsibility that you need to go back and and especially if someone's fixed that like maybe it's you put more priority on going and reading that pr and then merging it in but it kind of goes to the same point this is someone needs to take the time to do that that is their time and that they may not have the time to look at it and so it's not really bad on them but i guess the security hole is probably more important but it it comes down to the downside of open source is you tend it tends to be a popularity contest because the nature of software and it's being long lived. I'm not going to use Mars's one off UI library that she made in her free time, even though Why it's not? brilliant. <laughs> because without like a big community behind it, there's no guarantee anybody's going to maintain that in the long run. So if I'm a company, I'm not going to adopt this one off framework because they don't owe you anything and they don't have to fix anything. They don't have to maintain it in the long run. But I think also that's a responsibility sort of of the person using the open source too. Like we're talking about the responsibilities of the maintainers, but also when you're incorporating a new open source, whether it be like a small NPM module or something larger like React, for example, like one of the, you have to do your due diligence as well. Sort of like one of the first things you look at is like how adopted, like widely adopted is this? What are their practices for maintenance? Sort of like what does their readme look like? So I think that there's responsibility on both sides um, that I think, yes, that, you know, the maintainers do need to be responsible for things like security incidents. But also on our side, we need to, you know, we need to do our due diligence as well and do the research. Be like, is this something that we really want to bring into our code base? Not does it do the job, but in addition, is it maintained? Can we add to it later if we want to? Sort of like what's, what's the, like, you know, um, contract there for the interaction? I actually think it's more ownership on the person choosing to use open source. Like, I honestly believe that that is your job to really make that decision. And even making a decision to use something like React or something like React Native, it it, to me is your job to really dig in and think about, is this the best thing for us and our project? And think about those things. Right. Well, what happens if Facebook just completely drops support for all this? Like, what happens? I mean okay, well, that could happen. Maybe not. And hopefully someone else would pick it up. Or, But these are things that you have to think about long term and that that could be a huge deal breaker to using open source software. React seems like a very specific, like a very, well, not the only example, but kind of a special case in that it is backed by a company. Um, so That's we have, a good point. So whereas there are other like large open source projects like Babel, for example, which is widely adopted and actually enabled a ton of innovation in the front end community that wasn't backed by a company. So it's it's it goes back to that. And I think there's like the curse of popularity on the maintainer side, but also, you know, on the, the user side, too, is like figuring out sort of like where is this coming from is a good question. Even the most popular or backed by company, there's still risk. So you yeah. still have to think about the pros and cons of using open source. That's fair. Yeah, even backed by companies are still risk. I mean, remember, uh, was it two years ago, three years ago, when React was going to change its license to yep. say you can use React, but it can't be any direct com- competitor of Facebook, so you can't build a social network using the React library. And then it was, that was like really big. I know lots of companies evaluated, should we keep using React if they're going to change their license but that's the thing about open source is they can change it anytime they want because they don't owe you anything you're not paying for anything so if they want to change from mit to like some proprietary license they can do that and then you're like well i've built years of expertise and my billion dollar company on this software 
that I can no longer use legally. Yeah, you might have to rewrite and yeah. something completely brand new. Imagine just swapping out a whole framework. That would be insane. That's a pretty serious downside of open source. Yeah. I feel like we've been talking a lot about the drawbacks, but I still think the benefits outweigh them. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, I think so. I think there's a lot of benefits and um, I think it is important. But I'm also interested to know, you know, we talked about being contributor cheers cheers <laughs> do you think it's a requirement for engineers to to help out with open source work oftentimes i've heard it in the aspect of interviewing or showing your work is that you need to have like a github profile and it has to have all this work done and to me I, I'm, I'm curious on both of your points <laughs> i i don't even want to answer this question right off the bat i'm already like wanting to jump in but I'm <laughs> i'll let you guys jump in first i don't know requirement seems it seems difficult i think as a member of the community it's important to have empathy for those who are doing the open source if you are not also contributing back to it Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> but it's hard because you have to put that requirement as an engineer in the context of the work that you're already doing. So potentially if you're doing it sort of as a side project, um, maybe there is a requirement. So you see an issue, maybe you should think twice about complaining and think first about, about like giving back to it. I almost use a keyword again. <laughs> um, but when you do your day-to-day -day job, I think that you really have to put that in the context of what you're doing and also the job that you're, you're performing. Because a lot of times it really depends sort of on the the way the company views that and how sort of your deliverables are structured and evaluated, which is tough. I think that companies should be better about allowing time to give back to open source, but a lot of them currently, it feels like, do not. Um, just like from having talked to people and, and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's sort of like there's no tolerance for, oh, our timeline is now two to three days longer because this open source project, you know, we're giving back to it or we're waiting for a pull request or something to that effect. I want to touch on that point later about what companies should do and like the state of things in open source because that's a really good point. With, is it required for an engineer to work on open source software? Absolutely not. I think that's ludicrous. We all have things we're better at. We all have things we're, we're not as passionate about. My passion is not particularly open source. Like I don't, you can check my GitHub. I don't really post a lot of things unless I have a library that I was really like. Oh, I right, really I was gonna say like open source and like a specific project could be different. Yeah, like I'll release some of the stuff I'm working on, but it's not useful to anybody. But right. does that count as open source? Yes, but uh, no. I, I think I, I've seen companies have requirements like, oh, do you work in open source? What are the projects? You should have at least three or something. I'm like, that's ridiculous. For me, I like to give talks. That's my way of giving back communities, giving talks, educating yep. people, giving a workshop or something like that. We all have different strengths. Some people are great at writing blog posts, like really, really strong blog posts that are just as good as giving back to the, open, to the community. Some people are good at open source. Some people... Um, some people sit around and drink and record it on a podcast. Some people have podcasts and are just bums who do nothing. Right. <laughs> just talk about open source. Yeah. <laughs> talk about what we should be doing. But... I, I think there are different types of giving back to the community. I do think you should give back in some way, but sometimes it's just mentorship. Sometimes it's just like on Twitter, you're just like really honest and you'll respond to people and give them advice and stuff like that. That's giving back too. I, I and it think could it be is, a one-to-one -one too. Is like we're, we're talking like open source, uh, giving talk or a workshop. Those touch a lot of people, but it could literally be that you're just helping mentor someone who's just starting out or it doesn't matter but that's like a one-to-one -one and you are still giving back it's not shown to the world on your github that you've done this and that that shouldn't matter to your point gem kind of touching on the company aspect i'm curious like obviously us working at netflix we know we have leveraged open source work but we've also open source some of our own work is there a process to decide if you should use an open source library or not 
Have you each experienced that in companies where you're thinking about it? Are you able to even open source work too? Like, I think that also could be a company policy against open sourcing code. So the first part, we, I think personally, like we all at this table have worked and talked about open sourcing something or another. It's a lot of work. It is so much work to develop a library that you're building for your company and then saying like, I'm going to open source it. Either generally you start with the intent of I'm going to open source this later or you open source it a little bit later, um, which is much, much more. It's so much work. I challenge anybody at their work right now, like pick something you're working on and say like, I'm going to open source it. And then you have to build a readme. You have to like take out all your company specific logic. It's so, so, so much work. I don't, I understand why companies don't open source things. That being said, uh, we do open source some things. At Netflix, we're not as strong on the UI open source, but we have a lot of strong projects. Uh, Zool, Spinnaker, Falcor. There's a ton of stuff that other teams are doing. Yeah, Chaos Monkey. Chaos Monkey. That's a, pr- a pretty famous one as but well. But I think those were built with the intent of open sourcing at some point. And it is, it's like not a zero amount of time that people no. spend have to maintain these things. Well, and I think that too is like, even when I've thought about it from the lens of uh, Netflix and when we've talked about open source, like even something like Falcor and uh, some of the conversations we've had internally, it's even a higher bar when you put it under the umbrella of a company. So like Netflix has their open source libraries. Um, and if you want to open source something there and you're putting it under the umbrella of that, now you really have to maintain it. You can't just throw it out there. I think it's even worse than being under a just an individual. Like I think if, if we're creating something and Gem, you, you built some cool swiping language or library that's like a cool UI pattern and you're like, hey, I would really, I think we should open source. This is really helpful and like it helped us. I might be more up to say, you can do that, rip out the Netflix-specific logic and share it, but maybe you should be the maintainer because it is almost harder for a company if they put it out there. I feel like the bar is even higher for it to make sure that they are maintaining and following up on issues. And that comes a huge tax to a company. Well, it is huge. I think if you take React as an example, they've built a whole team around it. And not every company Mm -hmm. has the luxury of being like, we're going to build a team that primarily builds open source. I think like React is very well adopted, so it kind of needed that behind it. But there are sort of, there have to be lots, there are lots of examples. It really depends, I think, on the scale and the success of, of the project. I'm sure there's a lot of different processes in various companies for, to the point where some companies don't even allow it, like that you can't open source or maybe not even use open source too. Like we haven't even really touched on that, but like there's times where companies will be like, nope, can't use open source. There could be security holes. There could be a missing left pad, uh, you know, NPM module. Like you just don't know. And so there might be even companies that are almost completely against using it too. So that's a, that's a good question. What do companies owe the open source community? Like, I think we can ask the question, does your company use open source software? The answer is yes. Every company in the world uses open source software to some degree, uh, even if it's from like um, Curl or something like that, which I believe is pretty sure is open source. Um, like we we all at some point use some open source software, probably using Linux or Git or something like that. Uh, but like what do companies owe giving back to that? Because we said it's if you're a tiny startup of 10 people, you, you can't afford to open source your software because one, it's your secret sauce, a lot of it. Two, it's a lot of work to maintain that. Yeah, but it could also be the forms of maybe giving back as in money-wise too, is like you're using this as a save time by using open source software. 
it, it saved you headaches from having to create that or hiring or just having your engineers create is that maybe it is giving back in a financial aspect or maybe it is just like you're giving back to the community to your point gem like going and talking about it too that that might be a form of it this is how we've leveraged it this is how we've learned and that could help others adopt you know x open source and library or something like that i just i think that like the, the the donating back i think is is important but not everyone not every company has the means to do that i think just sort of having the empathy and sort of the tolerance for you know the first question if something is wrong with an open source project being how can i fix it as opposed to oh we'll just go with something else if, if that makes sense like the tolerance to make time to contribute cheers cheers, cheers back to that project if there's an issue um, to make it work for your company as opposed to maybe just, uh, you know, forking it, for example. Um, and I think that there are a lot of places that don't have tolerance for, for that or empathy for that either. Yeah, it's, it's free. It's cool. Just use it. Why, why do we have to care about that? Right. Capitalism is its finest. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I went into this, this topic thinking I was going to go on a good rant about companies should... We're, they're all using open source software, like billion dollar companies to zero dollar companies. They're all using open source software. Everybody should be giving back. But now, I, having talked to both of you, I'm like, I don't know where I stand anymore. Because before, I was like, yes, they absolutely should. They're using it. They should give back in some way, be it money or contributions. Cheers, cheers, or <laughs> something like that. But now I'm, I'm like, well, open source software is kind of a form of art in terms of like this is a different debate about software engineering. It's like art or science, whatever. But like, it's a form of art where, like, if I spray paint something on a wall, you don't owe me any money to necessarily say, like, this is really good. I want to use this in my office or something like that. Because, like, you you put it out in the world. But the same token, like, the company doesn't necessarily owe you anything either. But what if it's really popular work of art? We say, like, we should support this person because they're brilliant and they make brilliant software that we all use. And there's plenty of people that have made the vast majority of the software we use, which is crazy. They're so uh, prolific and efficient at making software. But my point is, like... Do companies actually owe to give back? Like, if you look at it in terms of like their art and they're supporting artists, like how much do they owe in terms of that? Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, I love that you brought up the spray painting mural type art. It's, it's something that's done in the public and anyone can see it and, and enjoy it. And that's amazing. Where I do think that it's kind of wrong, and I've seen this happen many times in the graffiti and street art community, is that companies will leverage that artwork in their ads and campaigns and not cite the artist or not have permission for that and to me that's where maybe it's really completely wrong it's like okay well you're making money off of this not citing the fact that you're so maybe using a open source library and you're like not citing that you actually use it or that you're you know not crediting where credit is due i think that's where it becomes really really bad and it's like we're making money and we're not even going to credit this artist for it i think that's the really really bad part or have permission to it which goes back to open source licensing if it's is available mit license to be able to use and you're following those licenses that's one thing but if you have no right to do it and you're using it, that that kind of, I don't know, it's this like kind of weird gray area, but I think it's really, you should think about that as a company. And if you have the money and the means and you're stealing some artist's work without crediting them, that's really bad. But not counterpoint, but uh, let's say corollary. How much do companies owe? Let's say 
I, I agree. I think companies should, if they have the, the means and the engineering capability and the financial capability, they should give something back to the open source community in some form. However, where do you draw the line? Like, what if there's a, an obscure library that you use for, like, you know, it's like 30 lines and it saves you a lot of time, but do you owe that person some contributions or money or something? Or is it only, like, large software that deserves your... your um, your resources. Hmm. I don't think there's a hard and fast rule, but I don't think it matters on the size of project though either. Uh, if that 30 line code is saves me a lot of time and you know saves our company a bunch of money because we're leveraging it, that could actually be more powerful than using some massive open source library that thousands upon thousands of lines of code. And so maybe that one is actually more meaningful that I would rather contribute or give money back. Cheers. Cheers. To that point, I was going to say, I think it really depends. Well, I, I think that if you're going to have to come up with some sort of like a hard and fast rule for it, it should depend on the impact of the project that you're using. Like, that's like exactly what Ryan was saying. Is like how no, much you put it better. How much, no, how much of an impact does what you're using have on what you do day to day? Potentially taken into account, like, you know, how is that open source project maintained, too? So, you know, we have small open source, you know, NPM modules and large NPM modules that we use that have a large impact on what we do day to day, I think, just in general. And just taking that into account and being like, okay, I want to support this, either in terms of time, like helping maintain um, and contribute. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> or in, in terms of, like, monetary donations. So, not to be contrary, but, you know, I like, I like messing with you. What about something like LeftPad is a perfect example. I know we need to stop reading it up, but that's something that is so obscure, this tiny, tiny library that other things depended on. So when it went down, it took down everything. That's something that like you can argue is the core of a lot of libraries, but it's also tiny and insignificant in that way too. Yeah, that one's tough because it's almost like nobody even really knew that it existed until it was gone. And so if you contributed back to some large framework, we keep using React as an example, and it has a reference to LeftPad, do I have to pay them back that? I don't know. That's super weird. I, I don't know where I'm headed. I don't know. With that one, I feel like, no no offense to LeftPad, like it had an impact. It took down services, but um, LeftPad itself as a small library wasn't doing anything too impactful in terms of like we could have written there are anyone an, could have written that really there are quickly NPM modules out there that like and i know not just left pads so i'm not picking on it but um you know that exist that do things that we want them to do but in all fairness we are sometimes lazy and we could have written it ourselves we're so, always lazy no in my mind like the impact there is minimal because we could have written it ourselves if we really wanted to the fact that a tool existed was sort of like a yay hooray moment for whatever task you were trying to accomplish but that's how I see it in that particular case. Yeah, I think that's a fair point is that it's like you could have rewritten it, but it wasn't. It was just it's already there. It's a helper function that basically just saves me a couple extra lines of code. It's already done. It's already tested. It's fine. Just use it. So I'm curious, what are what are both your thoughts on private companies making money from open source software? So I create some awesome graphics rendering library. You, uh, Ryan and Mars start a company. It becomes a $5 billion company based on this open source software. What are your thoughts on that? Because there there are lots, I mean, it sounds like a, a one-off example, but there are tons of companies that have open source libraries that people take contributions to. But there are actual company and they, their entire core is based on this library and they make money based on the efficiency of this library. Right, so that 
they've basically made their core, what they're selling, the code is out there that others can edit and change and submit pull requests and the actual company benefits from it. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, like companies can make money off of your contribution, even though you didn't get paid in any way other than the joy of giving back to the community. Mm. It's a weird blend of capitalism and this like open source socialism. I think that's where, uh, there again, no hard and fast rule. It's more on the company to think about how how are they giving back to those contributors. Cheers. 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 Maybe they're doing something. Maybe they're putting on a special event each year for the people to recognize their the way that they're helping them. So I don't know. If, like, there's nothing written in stone. Like, if I go and go to an open source library that, yes, they're making money off of it, but I make some changes that help them. I mean, I'm doing that out of the goodness of my heart. It kind of goes back to that company to say, hey, like we should recognize Ryan for doing that. I don't think they're, I don't think it's bad. It's, I, I also probably know, like I know that the company is making money off of it. I guess if they're trying to hide the fact that they make money off it, that might be bad. Okay. So here's maybe a dumb question. Isn't this what the licenses are for to some degree? Do you, do you read all the fine print? No, but as a like, I'm, I'm saying, no, it's like, a good point. No copyright and licenses like those were put in place for a reason. Um, and if you as a maintainer do not agree with the way that other companies are using and profiting from your project, could that be blocked through a license? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So that to that point, but I think what Jem was getting at too is the fact I could say make a company out of some software that serves up ads or whatever and other companies pay me to use it right and it's open source and the fact that the code's available for you mars to go and like make changes and you know open a pr and i'm like great i'm gonna merge that well now i make money off of your contribution contribution cheers Cheers. that's a good point on the licensing i i would say just speaking for myself i don't understand licenses that much i know mit is probably the best one but Apache has one. There's uh, new. Uh, there's so many versions of license, and there's there's like versions of license that are one offs. Um, I think there's like a WTF license. It's like do whatever the hell you want with this. <laughs> I could care less. You That's, sounds like my favorite license. That's a good one. Um, there was outrage when people people got offended at that. Used profanity in the license. Anyways, uh, I think part of it is people that give back to the community. If you're going to contribute to an open source, read the license, understand. They can profit from your work. They, mm-hmm. and they don't owe you anything. And that's just yeah. how it is. Kind of like um, if you post a picture on Instagram, they have the right to use your picture however they want because you posted it to. I would argue most people don't understand. What? <laughs> yeah, man. This free software, you're, this free service you're using is not free after all. <laughs> uh, it's still a gray area for me. Uh, I think it depends on the community. There are some like um, Gatsby, which are fantastic and they're clearly like giving back to the community and people contribute. But simultaneously, like Gatsby's also a company that wants to make money in the future. So, again, it's a gray area. I think there are some that are better than others. But I think you said it there, too, is like they're a great company that care about that community. And so they're giving back. And I think that's where that gray area for me is that they're recognizing and doing something. There's no they don't have to do anything. I think to your point is they don't have to do anything. But also if they're not caring about the people that are submitting code uh they uh then they're not gonna have people that help so it, it kind of goes you need to put some goodwill back out yeah 
But that being said, so I'm a maintainer. Let's say I'm maintaining a project um, and it, it becomes fairly popular. How can I as an individual or maybe even as a small group, how can we start to maybe make some money for all of our work? Other people are using it and maybe companies aren't giving us money and, you know, but we still need to make some money for our, our work because now it's grown to be popular. What are some ways that I could make money? Let's see. So you can run ads, which are uh, ads, man. I, I, I simultaneously don't like ads, but they also power most of the internet. So I it's an know. option. It's an option. I know recently there is that controversy with people showing ads in the terminal when you install like NPM install something and it shows you an ad, which is kind of gross, but it's also like they need to get paid too and they need to like maintain the software that you're clearly using right now. So I don't know. That's a great area too. Um, Patreon or GitHub, whatever their thing is called. Oh, right. GitHub oh, has yeah. the... Yeah. You can be a GitHub sponsor, basically. Is um is a way. So there's also sponsorship by companies where they say in the README, it'll be like, "This is brought to you by X company." And Which, so they've they've probably given money. Yeah, the Gem Young company has has given some money. Patreon's a cool idea too because it's it's just another way for gives the ownership of the maintainer to say, hey, like if you're using this, feel free to donate or give back. And I guess the same thing goes with GitHub sponsorship too. I I guess the only problem with Patreon is like we as a as a career, we make more money than a lot of other people and similar if you're like thirty and you're a software engineer, you're probably doing better than other thirty year olds in the same uh in different career fields. We don't give enough back to people. So I'll use Henry Zhu because he's a friend of mine. Babel maintainer, um, core Babel maintainer, he does not make a lot of money through Patreon or GitHub. With the number of companies in the world that use uh, Babel, like which is almost every company now, he does not make that much. He does not make as much money as he would just working for a company, which is kind of sad because like if all these companies took a portion, uh, like a fraction, a fraction of their budget and just paid him to help maintain the software, he would be doing very well. It'd probably be better, but we don't do that. So I don't know. If having a cop out and asking people for money is the best solution because people clearly don't do it. Yeah, I don't I've never really been a fan of that model either because it's hard because then it, it feels like you're like, hey, give me some money. I don't like that feeling either. Well it also goes kind of against everything that open source stands for. The idea That's is true that too. you're not paying for the license. Yeah. Um and so the the Patreon and the soliciting donations seems a little bit against that whole idea in the first place. It's, it goes from being open source to being sort of like equivalent to a patent. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like Pay me a little bit to use this. Right, exactly. Those are all options. I, I think something as complicated as Babel and as widely used and dependent on as Babel, it should have people that are like paid to maintain it. Like We all depend on it, so there should be people that are paid to maintain it. How that should look, I don't know. Right. The I, I think the model that we've seen a lot is that companies will either buy that like we'll, we'll hire those developers and then yeah. support it by, by paying those developers a salary, for example. So, I don't know, contrary opinion a bit. Is it best for the open source community if the companies just buy up everybody? That we're no, gonna, not like, really. Which is, which is what's happening right yeah, now. But. Yeah. yeah, no, I think there's the benefit to that individual probably needs to get paid in some way. But at the same time, are they now giving up control? Open source... Software could also be supported through non-monetary means, sort of, if we have, if we contribute more, you know, maybe those who are maintaining these projects don't need 
to, you know, be compensated nearly as much if, it, if they're able to do other things as well. So we're like taking time off their plate. Oh, I like that. Um, time is money. Yeah. We're taking time off their plate. They can, you know, make a living in other ways. And sort of we're all kind of it becomes crowdsourcing um, more so than open sourcing, which is sort of more um, equally split in terms of effort. So are there things that as engineers who definitely use open source are there things that we can do as an individual that can help the community of open source? I think empathy is really the biggest one. <laughs> yeah. I think that's and, really well put. And I, I don't think it's only in terms of con- um, contributing. Cheers. 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 In terms of like finding the time to, you know, submit pull requests or, you know, th- those types of things, but also just having the empathy to develop the patience for like, this is an open source project. This is kind of, it takes. It could take a little bit longer. So you need to have the patience to deal with the fact that there's a there's a human behind it. It doesn't happen immediately. Um, it's not an app, you know. It, if that makes sure. any sense. Yeah. Sort of just having empathy for the fact that there is someone on the other side of the screen who's dealing with it and realizing that it is a process. It's it's a community. It's kind of about the collaboration, not just the end result. I agree with all of that. I think one other thing too is just even simply crediting the people and just like saying thank you i think that maybe kind of leans into empathy but it's also just like saying hey mars thanks so much for that library that saved me a lot of headaches i like the idea of credit though like where credit is due especially because it also raises awareness of these projects that are kind of like powering these other companies or other projects under the hood um so either someone else might find it useful and you grow the community and and the pool of collaborators Uh, i like that idea all right well, at the end of each episode, we like to share picks of things that we found interesting and want to share with our listeners. Jem, what, what do you have uh, to share with us this week? You know, I've uh, I've got a lot of good suggestions on Twitter for uh, Valley Silicon. And I didn't pick one this <laughs> I week. I love that it's become so a many. thing. I think people are with me. They're like, these things are ridiculous. Why do they exist? Like, does anybody need a gold-plated Lamborghini? No. But it exists. Still. Someone out there. Has someone, it. Out, someone, yeah. someone out there bought one. So yeah. like, uh, but so I don't do those picks this week, so I couldn't decide. Uh, my first pick is, I think it might be my first Amazon Prime video pick. Maybe not. No, wait. I've picked Marvelous Miss Maisel. Blasphemy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Marvelous Miss Maisel is delightful. Uh, my pick is The Boys. I would put it in the top three of all shows I've seen this year. Maybe number one. Uh, I've not been to show this fast. It's just, it's so so good. Uh, if you like superheroes and you like um, a bit of violence, just a little, little violent. Uh, <laughs> the Boys is fantastic. It's on Amazon Prime Video right now. What I think did it for me, I haven't watched it yet, but I know what, what really resonated with me too, that the way you explained it to me a few days ago was that if you had superpowers, would you necessarily be doing them with for good? And, and that to me is like, oh yeah, that's true. We always see Marvel and superhero worlds where they're doing good. And it's like, really? If I had superpowers, I, I yeah. feel like I might take advantage it of that a little bit. Then, it does, yeah. It's a more pragmatic look at what people, what the world will look like with people with superheroes or superpowers. Uh, it's really, it's just really good. I, I highly recommend it. Um, my second pick is Hamilton. The musical, I just saw it. I know. It's been out for, what, three years now? Whatever. No, I'm just whatever. I've, like, s- I've still never agreement. seen it. So. Yeah, I, like, I'm just now getting around to it. People are like, oh, it's about time, Jim. Fantastic. One of the best musicals I've ever seen. No, the best musical I've ever seen. Like, hands down. It's just phenomenal in, in many, many ways. I won't go into it. You can look up on the internet, but it's worth seeing. Mars, what do you have for us? 
Oh, let's see. I don't have any sort of like software related things today. Um, but so I actually really love the show, The New Queer Eye on Netflix. That, that show just, just kind of like a pick me up thing. Um, but I just saw they announced they're having a new season starting November 1st where they're actually like taking Queer Eye to Japan. Um, which I'm intrigued by. So I love Queer Eye, but I'm curious to see how it's going to translate culturally. Um, that might be interesting. It's, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. You know, I love Queer Eye. I think they do great things. I'm also interested to see sort of like the cultural aspect of, of this particular season. Uh, the second one is I just went, I just got back from Portland, Oregon. And one of my uh, ex-colleagues now recommended Blue Star Donuts, which I would highly recommend. Voodoo Donuts, I think, is actually, like, way overrated. It's, like, Ooh. the one you see on all the lists. No, it really is. I This was blasphemous when we went up there. And then I had a Voodoo, <laughs> I had a voodoo Donut. I was like, Ugh. <laughs> Um So Blue Star Donuts is really, really great. Uh, they've got good coffee. They're, like, brioche-based donuts. And Ooh. my favorite donut from them was the peanut butter and jelly donut, which tasted like what you always think, like, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich should taste like better so yum <laughs> awesome and i actually have two netflix original picks one show that is so 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 good is hyperdrive yes so good <laughs> uh it's it's basically fast and the furious meets like ultimate Beastmaster, or basically a show that is taking cars and there's like massive competition. It's like American Ninja Warrior for cars. That's a good way to yeah, put it. Yeah. I like that. It's a drifting competition, which with extreme obstacles. Such a good show. I highly recommend it. Really cool. They only have the one season and I already want another season. I I, I love it because I mean, I've always loved drifting because it's about the car control and the driver in the car and how well they understand it. It's not about money. Because there's a Lamborghini out oh, there. Oh, the Lamborghini like, is the most expensive one. Well, we don't want to hit too much. Spoiler, but but, yeah. like, it, but there's, there's like, you know, 1970s Datsuns or something that are not worth that much There was like a money. really old BMW on there, but the driver was amazing. She was like yep. a 20-year-old from South Africa, I think. Oh, yeah. oh that, was that was so was cool. Yeah. She was so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I love about drifting because it's like it's it doesn't matter horsepower doesn't matter anything right. about how much nope. money you have it's about like how good you are and that's it racing is definitely very different like money matters but anyway, sorry yeah no no I think like love that you both have seen it and can add to it because I think it is such a good show you just put it in the background it's a really good show to like watch it's awesome and then there's a new original called Unbelievable it's not as, as exciting as Hyperdrive, a lot more dark. It's a crime show about a serial rapist that the police are chasing. It's just a really interesting story. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a short series. I, I don't think there's, I don't think they're making more seasons. Uh, before we end the episode, where can people get in touch with you, Mars? I am on Twitter, but not active really as Mars Josephine. I am more active on Instagram if you feel like seeing all of my photos of cats and aforementioned donuts. Oh, I love the cat photos. <laughs> the donuts were so good. Jem. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jem Young. And I'm on Twitter at Burgess D. Ryan. I am also on Instagram as well. And I'm at Ryan.Burgess on Instagram. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to Front End Happy Hour and whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. And you can follow us on Twitter at Front End HH. Any last words? Give money to Babel. <laughs> I know you're using it right now. You should give some money to him. And have empathy. <laughs> <laughs>